Welcome to Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news tips and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who've made this podcast possible, makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom stable scleral lens. My name is Dr. James Diem, and I am on the East Coast, and of course, we are joined by none other than Dr. Roya Habibi in South America. <laughs> Just kidding. Central America. Just kidding. Central. Which one central. is it? Is it it's Central. Right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Just... We'll go get it right, people. We'll get it right. So, what what is it? What day are we on here? What we are... Christmas we are in time. December. We are the first week in December. Yeah. Christmas is very. Tell me what that feels like to be in a warm, like a tropical. You know, if you told me Christmas. that Thanksgiving that passed, I weird? would argue with you that that didn't happen. It is weird being yeah, like, in a tropical thing. Know. It's July. I would think that it was July. I mean, you were in California, so that's not you know. They, I was in California when I was warm younger. There all the time, in, right? In Seattle, there was definitely like there was definitely a difference. Because number one, now in Seattle, it's, it's colder, so dark. Huh? No, it's the darkness that really bothers you. Because, you know, the Seattle darkness. is one of the most northern locations in the U.S. So right about okay. now, it's getting dark at like 4.30 at night. And the sun doesn't yeah. rise until like, I don't know, like Sometime 8-ish, 8 in the morning. <laughs> so Get out, really? I'm serious. Eight? Yeah. Seriously? I'm serious. I'm serious. So wow, that I did not know that it was so early or late. In the like morning, when you have too. a long like, day, like on your Monday, sun. you wouldn't see sun. Yeah. 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 You don't exactly. see sun at all. So that I definitely don't miss. Like here, wait, I'm going to pull up wow. my. I didn't know that. So right no, now, sun rises at 735. Yeah. That's, and then it sets eight. at 420. And wow. then you add in that winter is rainy. In in Costa Rica, in Seattle, so like it's so it gray, it's misty, I mean, it's just... and it's dark. It's the darkness that really sets in and like is it's rough. Tough. Yeah, tough to do. So, anyways, yeah. I don't mind that. I don't mind that it just r- snowed in in Seattle, and I miss that. Like, I'm happy to not own a snow shovel. And uh, there's yeah, actually this cute little ad here shovel. down near Tamarindo that says. Uh, it's like a real estate ad, and it says that with the purchase of your home, you will have lifetime snow shoveling for free. Snow plowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll take care of that. Cute, yeah. Oh, my God. That's kind of like, I don't know if I talked about this already, but I, I know I do this all the time, too, talking about Netflix and the different shows. But um, there was a, did you see the one about Pepsi no. on there? The, the one, no, it's pretty good, actually. I recommend it. It is a... Um, show about at one point in time pepsi had a marketing campaign for the pepsi stuff like you got pepsi points and you could get pepsi stuff do you remember that i don't remember uh maybe i do actually yeah and i honestly it would have been you know when we especially you uh <laughs> were younger right i mean you wouldn't have really been it was probably in the early 90s sure. or late you know when this was happening so you wouldn't have really been aware of it but the um the thing about it was in the commercial like they were joking around but like they said oh you know like pepsi glasses or pepsi sunglasses pepsi jacket like it would say like 100 points and then pepsi you know cooler 
200 points. I don't know. It had like all these things. Oh, okay. I remember. And at the very end, at the very end, there was a Harrier jet and it said 5 million points. And I guess there was no like disclaimer. There was no legalese. It didn't say, you know, and so this kid like figured out a way uh, he was set. He initially went and got this like really rich guy and they like rented a warehouse and they were like legitimately buying all this soda to, to get the jet. Cause he's like, well, I figured out the jet's worth, you know, $32 million. So if I spend, you know, $2 million buying Pepsi, like it's a deal, um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and it's a real then, story there. It's a real story. Yeah. Then, um, they they actually came out with a an incentive like you could buy points at one point in time you could buy points so he's like wait well now this totally changes the game like you could spend like i think it was like seven hundred thousand dollars is what he computed to buy five million points to get the jet so you know like so he, did he get he the did jet it. he got somebody to do it and he did do it and then you know all the legal stuff ensued then you know like there was this big legal battle and i'm not going to ruin the ending interesting uh, uh, four people. Okay, yeah, this is fun. You know, we're we're rounding out to the end of the year, and I want you to say your favorite show you watched of the year. You could say one or two. Oh boy! And don't ruin it for everyone. Telling everyone all the secrets. I know mine. Glad you asked. Oh man! I would probably say. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> I would say dope sick. Like. Like mm, hurt me good. in the stomach. It was so good, and yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. still thinking about. It. We've we've talked, we've talked about, about that it. several times. Dope on, sick on the wins. Yeah, hands down. I mean, like not yeah. that it's a pretty show, but it like it like got me probably, thinking. Yeah, that's probably probably one of the the better ones for sure. It was great. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of good ones though. I, a lot of good oh, of ones. Course. I mean, I think I think the Queen's Gambit was earlier no, this year. No, that I was think. like I think that was 2020 was that this year. Is that could have been any time in the last three that, years. That counts. Uh, <laughs> that's, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There was a lot of good ones, though. I've, I've enjoyed. Uh, recently, I'll say, I just watched The Swimmers. Okay. Um, this is a really good movie about a refugee uh, sister and sister that were swimmers in Syria, and they, like, escaped Syria, got to Germany, and... Just very interesting and very modern cool. day. Like it's it's like war movies are usually what like World War One, World War Two, like where it's sort of glamorized in in a way, not really, but like it's the U.S. wins and you know all this kind of stuff. But like there's wars going on, like this one in Syria, like a few years ago, where like there was all this bad stuff going on in Syria and millions of refugees. And this is like a real life story about refugees, you know, because it's not always a positive thing that totally. you hear, right? So. Um, it was just really, really interesting, interesting. you know, uh, in some respects, but it's a, it's like not a total history. It's, it's, you know, a story based on a movie based on real experiences. Right. So on a real story. So that was good. That was a good. Not one. to totally tangent and keep going on this, but one slope that I fell down recently is I've been on the survivor train. Oh, we really? have a Survivor, mutual huh? friend. Did you go back to like the beginning? No. Or? Well, so I just jumped on the uh, current, like season, current, current season. Current season. Oh, wow. Um, I wow. have a, like a friend of a friend who's on it. Like, I don't know him personally, oh, okay. but I, like, I, was gonna ask I have someone to root for. And honestly, yeah. he's kind of like, 
I think he's a winner, ball. Cody. I think he's gonna win. I don't know. I don't know. Have I have no inside Cody, scoop, huh? but like he's definitely someone you uh, want to root for when you're watching it. But really, it's it's like a blast from the past. And now I'm like, I want to go back and watch them all because it's just yeah. fun. It's like yeah. I kind of want to compete. They're pretty entertaining. And all of the like, I think you'd be a pretty good Survivor candidate. Do you remember what's involved? You've got to like make friends. Wait, wait, wait. who would be you. a good survivor candidate? Oh, yeah, I. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, what? What is the? There's like so you a have little to compete. tagline, right? I don't remember what the What is the tagline? Yeah, I'm gonna find. Regardless, it. you have to compete in these challenges, and then you have to like search the island for immunity or like immunity icons. Immunity, or, yeah, yeah. Outwit, outplay, yes. outlast. That's and then what you it have is. to, yeah. um, you have to make alliances, well, I'll take that as and a you have to. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, I think you do pretty yeah. good. Like we always talk about, nice. like who would be good or not, and. I think you, I don't I don't yeah. think Patrick thinks I'd be good, but I think I don't want to do. That. I feel like it's too stressful. It's like, interesting. I think you you know you could be on one side of the fence, or you could be like the one who's you know really kind of like in the mix of things and doing lots of stuff. But again, you could you could be more in the in the wings. Like I think you'd be more in the wings, but you'd be wheeling and dealing behind closed doors. I think I would I think, be like you know, so. the like quiet assassin, maybe. <laughs> That's what I mean. More laid back. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, speaking of more laid back, not really. Actually, not at all. Let's change subjects. In It's been a while since we did a themed month, but, um, mm. you know, Jimmy and I were talking a while back They're about good. planning and, and it was around like pre-Thanksgiving. We're thinking about being thankful. And of course, the number one company we are thankful for is our number one sponsor is Valley Contacts. But on top of that, we're thankful for a lot of things that they bring to the table, especially scleral lenses. So we thought, like, let's have a month of just, like, thanks and giving and gifts and holiday and providing nuggets of wisdom and things around that, you know, genre, if you will, right? Right. So... We <laughs> here we are. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's that's right. I mean, yeah, that's hundred yeah. percent true. So um, I talked. Well, I think I've talked to you guys about my one of the lectures that I recently did down in Cartena. But I did a lecture called the Master Class in Scleral Lens Logistics. Right. We always talk about mm. all the things involved in fitting scleral lenses and like the perfect fitting lens. Right clearance and edge design and you know do you micro vault do you fenestrate blah 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 but that is not what it takes to be a good fitter of scleral lenses right like sure you need to know the basics and sure you need to know what it looks like to be you know to create a good fit on the lens of on the eye but in my opinion if you can't perfect all of the details that are involved in fitting a scleral lens you are not going to need a good technician. You need yes. a good, you know, you need good person who's going to be in touch with the uh, lab, yes. right? Like, you know, all those other so many things details. I think I hear you. Yeah, saying. exactly. Yeah. So many details. So what I want to do is kind of lay out those details to everyone. And I actually kind of categorize them in four steps. Okay. So Jimmy, mm -hmm. step one, you're not fitting at all. I like to categorize this as before mm -hmm. fitting. What are okay. the things, this, whether it's like you're a brand new clinic or you are having you know, a new day, what are the things you need to have to be able to fit a scleral lens? Go. 
No, you said you're not fitting. So it's not about the fit. Like it's before you're fit. You have maybe you know you have a patient. And not not even talking about like tools to fit. Supplies. Supplies either. is a good category, right? So okay. you could hit because I would even go one step before that and say marketing, sure. right? Like marketing is is before you necessarily fit the lens, right? It's how you get people to sure. fit, but you know, having the marketing and the education yes. for, you know, so marketing is more about looking outside of the practice, you know, to new 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 to the practice patients. But then also, you know, I think this is so true with scleral lenses in particular it was for me that no one was fitting the 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 cones in our practice or transplants in our practice as a specialty lens really they weren't dedicated to it so they dabbled with you know some hydrosoft or maybe like an rgp if it was fit somewhere else they just reorder it um or, or things like that but there was no effort really in trying to look back at the patients that they had in the practice for 10 plus years and were subsisting you know they were surviving on 2040 2050 you know those patients right like they were fit poorly in a lens maybe they're in an oasis toric for god's sake who knows or proclear toric that lens yes so you know i i think it's um you know and then like how are you going to get those people in the practice to know that there's this new thing and what it is right totally. so like the pamphlets you know like having a pamphlet that you could give yourself yeah. or your associate docs or, or even people in the area to say well here's what a scleral lens is you know this is what you could expect this is the process you know it's uh all of the selling oh, points totally. that you would want people to know to give it to well try. and on top of that um, like so marketing bringing your patients in but let's say you do have that patient comes in, you're like, boom, I'm ready. Let's do this. What are you going to charge them? How long, what do they charge? Do you charge everything as a big fee or do you have separate fee for fitting, separate fee for your materials? Oh, yeah. Do you have a return policy? Nightmare. Do you have a fitting period or, you know, and then do you actually just, do you just say all those things or do you put it in some sort of contract? So sitting and thinking about these questions. Yeah, and you actually stick Right, it. <laughs> right. Like, what is your procedure? Yeah. What are the fees associated? Is your patient knowing that up front? So there's a lot of really right. good examples of scleral lens or custom lens fitting contracts online, whether you want to actually implement a contract that a patient signs or gets a copy of, or you just use that as a guide to think about all the things you should talk to people about. Your warranty period you know, upgrade charges, et cetera. There's all things to think about. Or right. or what if I hate this lens? What if I can't do this? Is there a re- refund policy? Patients ask that. And, you know, they're scared. They're, they're making a big investment. So you need to know these questions in advance. So having a policy in place is important. Um, you mentioned supplies now. So you need your kit. We really don't fit scleral lenses empirically. Uh, would be great someday. Or, you know, maybe you have a... Uh, scleral topographer, although that if you're just starting to fit, this is probably future future goal, but you need your fitting kit. You need a way to put the lenses on and take them off, which is in the form of two different plungers, and you need right. preservative-free saline. Cleaning solutions yeah. are important as well, but in, I would argue you don't need to buy a separate bottle or ask for a separate bottle of GP cleaner. You can use your hydrogen peroxide, which is the best way to clean. Yeah. Or in a pinch, you could even use like a BioTrue or, you know, your soft lens cleaner. Right. 
for information from patients, okay? So you're not fitting yet, but what information do you think is 100% necessary to collect from your patient before you fit? Uh, I just want to know about their, you know, their current visual situation. I mean, I know that that's like obvious, you know, you're going to want to know what's going on there, but like what they've done, you know, like what they've done, you know, like if they've been somebody who, you know, they're wearing a GP lens for 10 years and they're just happy they're coming in for a refit or, you know, um, but you're thinking, boy, it could be a better, you know, I'm thinking you should, at least we should have this discussion. Um, you know, if they've worn soft lenses, they've never worn anything at all, not even glasses, but they just noticed, you know, they're not seeing as clearly and you find out they're a cone and, you know, so just that, that history is important. I think, totally. uh, in their visual correction perspective. Totally. Um, the other thing, I mean, just the first things that come to mind for me is, you know, yeah, what they're doing and then their insurance. I yes. mean, you know, in, in my world, their insurance is extremely important. It really drives the conversation. You know, it could it could give me the liberty to promise some things and it could also give me the liberty to um, say I have no clue, yeah. you know, and this is how much it costs and you know, um, we'll, we'll see what we can do. You know, fortunately it's going to be a process, but you know, pretty much no, um, you're going to pay something, you yeah. know? And, uh, you know, this is, you know, I, I just want to like, let's get that out yeah. there, you know, because I'll tell you in the beginning, I was much more, I think, flexible, you know, and, and that's my own fault, but you know, more flexible and wanting to get the experience and wanting to get patients into the lens because I knew it was going to be better for them um, in doing things to work with them, you know, like ordering them without getting payment or without getting approved, uh, you know, insurance, just being like, you know what, they're going to see better. I'm getting these lenses. They'll do whatever it takes to get them. Didn't always happen. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that didn't always happen. So, you know, uh, people unfortunately still believe that, you know, that they can only do for themselves what their insurance is willing to do yeah. for them. And uh, that's, you know, just un- unfair, totally. you know, to, to patients and that you just got to work through I think, it, you know. So I think that's like, I think there are two things you said that I think are important. Number one, the liberty, because, you know, a lot of your vision plans have a very straightforward, like, that's algorithm. I don't know if that's the right word, but like you have keratoconus, view bill with keratoconus diagnosis, the keratoconus fitting code 92072, you are going to get up to, you know, 1800 or depending on your area, dollars coverage for this procedure, right? So you have the liberty of saying, if you haven't used this benefit and it's available, you're going to get this coverage. And I think that's important. Same liberty that you can say, if you have a Medicare patient, you are not going to get coverage. It doesn't matter what we do, you're not going to get coverage unless you happen to have a secondary of VSP or something, right? So I think it's important, right, and right. I do think kind of like you're alluding to, when we're younger or less experienced, we're not totally confident in our ability to perform, perhaps, to provide this th- service confidently. And so you almost are like testing your own skill as you say, okay, we probably can do this without saying with confidence, this is the price. I know it's expensive. If you'd like to start a little payment plan first, once we hit X percentage, we'll order the lens or whatever, however you want to negotiate. 
um, to be able to give someone who's, you know, maybe a Medicare patient or maybe has no insurance, um, if you want to be able to help yet still cover your cost, I think, I think that's what you learn with time, right? But having some sort of general policy so it's fair for everyone, it's the same amount. You're not discounting for some things or losing money. Right. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said those things because a lot of people will bring up, you know, prescription or HVID or K values, um, <laughs> which are helpful. And especially in the sake of managing something like keratoconus, it's wise to know those things, especially K values and prescription because you just... No offense to residents right. if they're no, listening. No, but I think that's probably what they right? would say. Like everyone's going to say that HVID might yeah. be helpful for selecting your lens, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. K yeah, value yeah. same. It's going to help you. Whatever lens manufacturer you work with, they give you a little algorithm to help you select. But truly, do right, you need those right. things for fitting a scleral lens? No, you just need patient with eyes you need eyeballs and yeah. you need patients yeah. that can pay exactly. right <laughs> and those are the two things right. i thought of let's right. get the butts in the chairs and make sure they can pay to i do <laughs> i do like what you're saying about what they're old and like what they're doing and i think another thing that i love to do is ask what their goals are because if their goal is yeah. that they're happy with a corneal gp that's not a good goal for a scleral lens wear versus if their goal right. is like i want to see as best as i can at night and i don't want my lenses popping out or whatever that's a good goal for scleral lenses, right? So defining that I think is right. really important because sometimes people come in and say, I was sent here for scleral lens fit, but all I want is my corneal GPs to fit. And sometimes it isn't that that hard of an adjustment and then they are happier for it too. So really clarifying goals I think is really helpful for your patient's yeah. sake. So the last thing, so we talked about devices you need or stuff you need to start, creating a policy, what information you need to collect, and then before you're fitting, I think another important thing for success is how to actually prepare your contact lens itself, right? A lot of our fitting kits come with the lenses stored dry, which is good because most solutions don't stay clean for more than about a week. And so how do you prepare your lens? Jimmy, what do you do? Do you do anything or anything special? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I mean... I, I actually like to have my solutions in solution, uh, my contacts in solution, uh, my contacts in solution. So, you know, uh, it, in two of the offices, I'm, I'm not there as much. And so I have the lenses stored dry there unless I know ahead of time that there's going to be, you know, some a follow up or a new patient. But in our main office, I have my technician. She... Um, she cleans the lenses every oh, week. Oh, nice. That's a good idea. So the lenses are cleaned once weekly, um, the whole thing, and uh, and then dry, and then we put new solution in. So, you know, on the like the following week, Monday. And so the lenses have an opportunity to kind of get, you know, reset every week. And then, of course, when somebody wears one, they're cleaned right away and put in fresh solution. Great. So, you know, they're never put back into the case with the patient's, you know, schmegma yes. on it. They're always cleaned. And then, you know, we go one extra step to clean them. Now, that's in my main office. So where we're using the lens every yep. day, using the lenses every day, then, you know, you, you can, I think, justify doing that so you don't have to worry about you know, the, the dryness issue, yeah. which, you know, certainly is an issue. Totally. It's frustrating, right? When you want to wow somebody and then they have a 20, 30 blur because of, you know, 
non-wetting surface. Totally. So well, and it doesn't feel uh, as good. I try to you avoid can't it. overfract them. It's frustrating for all right. parties. Yeah. I. So we just try and keep them moist. I like that idea because it's just a pain in the ass. My <laughs> my main fitting kit that I like to use the most, the Custom Stable by Valley. Yeah. I do store yeah. wet, and I do the same thing as you. I clean yeah. them weekly. But my other kits that I may pull from from time to time, I will I will do essentially what I'm about to say. So I will clean them. Ideally, if I have a reason that I know I'm going to use my whatever whatever other kit, I whatever will is, clean yeah. and massage. So here. I'll clean the lens with usually something like Boston Original or something a little thicker. I'll just rub the lens and mm. I will massage, especially the front surface of the lens to try and increase mm. that wetness. And then I will soak right. the lens. Ideally, as, as early as you can, but sometimes it's just right in front of the patient as you're about to put it on. But the more you massage right. that front surface, the more likely it's going to stay wet as long as possible, which is usually not that long at all if it's been dry. But if you're struggling to have wetness on the lens, it's probably because it's not wet enough. And so having an approach or, you know, soaking your middle lens before or keeping that lens soaked if you know a patient's coming in is a really wise way to avoid that headache. Yeah. So anyways, prepare your lens, get that information, which isn't much, have a contract or basically a policy set up and having some devices. So that's kind of your pre-fit. Now, let's talk about the fit itself. So during your fit, let's talk about everything but evaluating and fitting the lens, okay? So number one, selecting your lens. Well, select your lens, insert the lens, accept whether to keep the lens on. We're not going to talk about the evaluating sip, but that's there. Then we're going to record, order, and disinfect. Okay? So step one, selecting your lens. How do you select which lens to go on the eye? For yeah, me. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I definitely will... So, so do you mean brand or like uh, size? Let's go. <laughs> let's or curvature. ignoring brand per se. Okay. But so you know, I I prescribe you know a lot of custom stable lenses, and so you know, obviously, it's part of the reason why we you know began working with Valley in the first place. You know, both Roy and myself had a pretty good level of experience with custom stable lenses, and and not to you know, downplay any other company, but, you know, a lot of reasons, including, you know, this, the customer service that I received, why I decided to partner with them early on. Um, and, you know, the uh, process has always been explained to me, like, you know, you, you will start by assessing the patient's base curve, flat K, and, and then you, you can translate that into a, a sagittal depth depending on the diameter and that 15.8 was always sort of the diameter to start with. And I think that's kind of where I started. But then as you go on, as you go on, you, you look at um, topographies and you look at topographies and while the flat K might be something like 50 or 46 or 52, a lot of times even the flat K exaggerates, you know, the steepness of the cornea. You know what I mean? Well, and because it's not the, the steepness of the cornea, that, you know, right? The You're fitting is. the sclera. While it's helpful to go off the base curve of the cornea. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Basically, exactly. all so your you companies are giving you... So a lot of come back down, Yeah, uh, right? all your companies are giving you an answer to like a huge barrier that everyone has to entry. 
Where do I start? The, the companies are like, right. eh, I don't know. Let's go this algorithm, but take flat K, times it by 100, and start with that side. Hopefully it'll be close. And then, like, yeah. really all that really matters, you put something on and you look at it, right? It doesn't really matter. You see. So yeah, I have true. a favorite lens in my kit. You could start at kit. the same lens. Yeah, I have a favorite yeah, lens in my yeah, kit. exactly. It's, like, third from the end. And that's what you put on. Closer to flat, because most one. eyes are a little flatter mm-hmm. in the sclera. 43 the 43 i love the right? 42 or 43 yeah that, that's my go-to oh, 42 i yeah. do feel like most people end up yeah. in a 41 but that's just that's why i go 42 but honestly that's a base curve it doesn't matter where you start you just oh. start right right so that's yeah. a take home but i wish yeah, i had like I a whole kit of 42s okay. i will say that <laughs> honestly yeah <laughs> okay so that's number one select number two insertion what I'm, I'm going to go through my spiel of how I tell my patients I'm going to put the lenses on. Because I think number one is if you can get your lens in on the first try, it is the most impressive thing to a patient. And if you can't get the lens in, your patient immediately, especially if they're brand new wearer, is nervous. So what I tell my patients to do is I tell them to lean forward, bend from the hip, tuck your chin down, and put your forehead parallel to the ground. I am holding from... From the back of their, like, I actually put my elbow essentially on their shoulder. I'm right-handed, so I put my left elbow on their shoulder. I rest my forearm on the back of their head, and I use my fingertip, my pointer finger, to raise their upper lid while I am Sounds pushing like their a face wrestling down. wrestling move. <laughs> I know, kind of. As I'm pushing their <sighs> head down a little bit. So I'm not letting their head go back. Yeah. This actually I learned from Dr. Lynette Johns, who is like basically the queen of scleral lenses. And it's kind of nice, actually, because then they can put a little pressure on you. Like, not that I'm pushing on them, but like they know exactly where I am and I can see everything that's happening. Then I will lean in. I don't raise their chair or anything. I lean up and under. I have this the lens on a uh, DMV plunger filled, obviously, overfilling, and I come in and use my middle finger to pull their lower lid down and I raise it straight up. So I have each hand holding a different lid and then I bring the lens onto the eye while that patient is looking down. Love it. That's it. Yeah. So what do you do though? Do you do the same thing? Pretty much. Yeah, I'd say pretty much. I mean, I, I've heard about the Lynette John's scleral headlock of love and uh or the what does she talk about the uh like the you could do the uh proposal you know you could do the proposal method there's lots of different things that you can do uh but yeah I think the the, the main um two th- the three things you need I remember this being a topic of conversation in optometry school when we were doing our practicals Lid control, right? Do you remember that word, terminology, Absolutely. lid control? And um, head control. In, in the case of scleral lenses, there's head control. And then there's also lens control, you know? So you usually are putting in a soft lens. You know, we learn how to put in soft lenses. It was all about lid control, right? Really? You got to get that eye open. And that couldn't be any more uh, important than, than with scleral lenses being, totally. you know, that there's no give, right? You, you know, it's it's as big as it's going to be. It's as small as it's going totally. to be. So you got to get the eye open bigger than that and basically go right on. You can't necessarily shove it on. You could, you could try and, and in some cases 
that does work. But lid control and then, like you said, head control, you know, there's various different ways to do that. But if patient's moving their head away, you're going to, you know, run into problems. And then um, you have to be really good about your own dexterity. You know, I think we've all been there where we're seeing, you know, somebody new fit the lens and they just don't know what the hell to do with their fingers. It's like they were just given hands for the first time. (laughs) And they're like, what do I do with these things? You know, there's so many phalanges, you know, what do I do? Um, that, you know, their fingers are getting in the way and they're can't turn it, you know, the way you do. And, and it's just very awkward at first, you know, because you have to do several things, you mm-hmm. know, again, lid, head, lens. And so think that mechanical part is really very important totally. and could, could really be the thing that makes or break the whole process 100%. for people you 100%. Know? so well yeah, yeah i think too it is kind of a make or break because as you start going in like if i start to lift up and i realize my fingers are slipping or i realize the patient's moving too much i might let the saline touch the patient's cornea so they feel it but i pull away if i don't think it's going to go in you know what i mean because i'm not trying to get everything wet and my fingers slip more right. If I can tell something is not where it should be, I abort right away because the more times you try and fail, again, that patient's not trusting you. So I think right. that's – and then the patient just felt fluid, so they felt good. Like they didn't feel you struggling to get the lens in. And I also think right. like a dainty, awkward hold, like sometimes, especially if I was t- training some, some of my techs in the past or whoever to put the lens in, and when they got uncomfortable, kind of like you're saying, and would go in kind of awkwardly or not hold the lid firmly – that dainty hold is uncomfortable as a patient feeling that dainty hold. Like you need to hold the lid, like you know what you're doing and not like be awkward about it. Yeah. Um, some tips though, like, so if you, it's make or break, if you can't get it in, patient starts freaking out. You don't know what, like it starts to kind of like, what do you, what are your tips when you're not getting it in Jimmy? You know, I, I've, you know, I, I think probably things that, you know, we've both been told over the years, the wiggle the toe thing, right? You know, like wiggle your them. toes and look at the floor, something to distract them. Um, I think the uh, numbing of the eye certainly is helpful, you know, at a certain point in totally. time. I, I very rarely do it, but definitely is the next thing. When I'm scared um, that a patient like, is scared and has like a true yeah. ocular surface issue or just like a big fear, I will resort to numbing. But I always like to yeah. say like, like if you can avoid it, it'd be ideal because you know that a numbed eye isn't going to let them. They think now in their head that this only feels good because it's numb, right? Versus when a good lens goes in, it feels good. So I do like to avoid the numbing just because that now takes away from the wow of how the lens feels. I do like to also put gel, a gel in the, in the lens. If you even have an ointment, you could use that too. While mm-hmm. your vision's mm-hmm. not going to be as good, um, you right. can almost put a lens on horizontally if you have a thick enough gel or ointment in there. So that's another tip too if you're struggling. Yeah. It just will be very messy <laughs> if you miss. So just keep that in mind. Right. So visual right. target. Um, gel on the lens, numbing, distracting them, or I sometimes will have them put their fingers on their lap and just kind of tap between fingers, watching their fingers. So again, they're kind of distracting themselves from this big lens coming toward their eye. So. Right. Okay. 
So you get the lens on the eye. Now we need to decide, do you let the lens settle or is it too bad to even leave on the eye, okay? When do you take the lens off or when do you leave it on and evaluate anyway, okay? I evaluate it immediately. Yeah, of course. But like what are things that you can't really get good readings for? I want to give one example. Poor wetting. If it's poor wetting, I'm not going to be able to over effect. Like if it's just like bone dry sure. on the surface, I'm going to look to see do I have enough clearance, but I'm going to take that lens out and re, re-wet that and put it back in. Super annoying, but I will do that. Yeah. That's when I'll take it out. Yeah. What's an example of a time you'll I take think- it out? Uh, touch, you know, Corneal if there's touch. touch and it's, it's uncomfortable, especially, I mean, if I'm just questioning, is there touch or is it, you know, uh, 10 microns and I just can't see it, you know, um, if there's clearly touch and they feel it, um, or if it's not fitting right, you know, like it's kind of moving a little bit oddly, if that's the case, maybe it's pushing the lens off of one of the edges more than what I think. Like if I don't think I'm getting a good estimate of what it should look like when the lens is all said and done, uh, you know, especially on the edges, totally. right? Um, as a result of touch, then I'll take it yeah. off. Um, more often than not, I think I will. But, you know, if it's just close, if it's 100 microns, sure. 50 microns, and I think there's, you know, we're getting better vision and the over-refraction kind of makes sense a little bit, um, then I'll just adjust the order. Yeah. You know, I won't, I won't do anything at all, but the, um, I think, what about for yeah. excess clearance, like thousand microns? I think the same thing is true for excess. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think, you know, you, you, sometimes you're ready, you know, and you don't get that. Wow. Right. Like again, even with a refraction, you're getting them to like 2030 and you thought you'd get them to 2020. That sometimes is it, right? That excessive clearance yeah. that that and it's inducing some weird astigmatism because it's hanging low and the vault is all skewed, thicker and in inferior and thinner on the superior. Totally, I'll take it out and put another one on. The other example I'd say that I take out for is a bubble. If it's a teeny little bubble, I right. won't. But if it's Right. If it's big enough, it's kind of it'll cause weird suctional things underneath the lens. So your your clearance will be a right. little skewed, and then obviously they can't see. You can't over refract them. So bubble, right. poor wetting, s- too flat or it too, too much. much. Still, I will often leave it, but it, there has to be a reason where I just want to prove to myself for changing it. Vision but, is the only reason yeah, exactly. for me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Otherwise, everything else we keep. Bad edges we keep unless there's bubbles coming in because um, that's some things you're going to change, right? In your order. Right. Yeah. Generally speaking, yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll leave those on. Okay. Yeah. So you've completed your evaluation and fit. We're not going to talk about that. That's another lecture. <laughs> Let's talk about what do you actually record, right? What do you write down about your lenses? Or what do you put in your chart? Or what do you talk? You have you have a scribe now. What do you even say out loud that you need to make sure you document? Basically, the vault, you know, and and you know, I'll say nine times out of ten, just I'll typically just give one average vault. Yeah. You know, like I I don't you know necessarily say like you know 
temporal, nasal, sure. central, I 90% of the time will give one because if there is something I need to change, I'm just going to say what I'm going to change, course, yeah. you know, or I'll document um, suspicion for, but let them go and I'll reassess when they come back to see if my suspicion was correct. Um, there are occasions where I'll document like more specific vault, but it is uncommon. maybe over a and graft. Then, that has a steep point or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you could talk about that. Yeah, sure, that's a good But yeah, example. I usually only I think, put um, one clearance, central clearance, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, the vault or the um, landing zone, we'll, we'll comment on the landing zone with a little bit more specificity, I think, just because that's where you spend most of your time, right? Tweaking and adjusting. Of course. So, um, I'll try to be a little bit more descriptive as it relates to quadrants or nasal, per, nasal temporal more often than not. And, um, you know, aligned or compression or impingement, those types of things. And then over a fraction, of course, do you go yep, for best corrected vision? Yep, Definitely. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, you measure yeah. it right at the very least. And then you're going to, uh, do um your your yeah you're gonna over refract it you're gonna measure it and then um you know determine if it's a significant enough change to actually order it right then or say well this is my suspicion yeah my suspicion is you'll do better with minus 50 over refraction but um i'm gonna make you live in it for a little bit totally. first yeah um their valley context has a really nice um fitting pamphlet i guess you call it um especially for those who are new to the game or don't have a good process that they like on what to record um and it kind of like just gives you exactly what you need to write down of course the lens jimmy's uh scribe is surely recording the actual lens that he used which is yeah. super important because if you want to change of course you need to know the power and the base curve that you started with um but it shows you like where you need to put your markings because most scleral lenses will have a toric marking for the toric landing zone or toric haptics. Um, and then space for notes, et cetera. So it's kind of a nice way to record your thoughts because nothing's worse than getting on the phone with your rep and then realizing you didn't document something that could be fixable or it could be causing a problem that you need to deal with. So anyways, go look on their website or we'll have it in the show notes because uh, it's a really nice reference. So anyways, you record the information, next you're ready to order. So for me, I like to always order either at the end of lunch, or like, you know, lunchtime or end of the day, ideally within the same day because sure. it's fresh on my mind and just like queue up all my lens orders. Sometimes it was a lot and sometimes it was just one or two, but trying to order them all in a day. Um, some tips that I had, number one is color. Like I always, always ordered clear right, left blue. Clear has an R in it, like right in five letters. Four, blue has four letters, like left, <laughs> and has an L in it. And that kept me straight, kept patient straight, and it saved me so many times. So I highly recommend that consideration if it's available. It only is available in diameters up to, I believe, a 16.8, just because the lens blank doesn't go any higher than that. I could be wrong, could go even higher than that, but... You can check on that depending on how large you're going. Do you know if that's true, Jimmy? Can you make a 17.8 in blue? 
I'm, I don't know, yeah. to be honest. I know there's a limit, but regardless, most lenses, at least for me, I'm ordering 15 or 16, and um, that's fine. So number one, lens color. Definitely. Number two, check your power, because nothing is more annoying when you mess yeah. up your math. The nice thing with Valley Contacts Kit is, let's say you put on a 42 base curve lens. It has, a, I believe, a minus one power, and then you switch. You The lens is too flat. It's touching. Which for whatever reason, maybe you did over a fraction, it was a minus two, and you decide you want to steepen it or you want to flatten it, right? So you're doing that empirically afterwards. Within the within their lenses, every lens in their set is the same power, equivocally. There, it will read a different power, but you don't need to do any math when changing between powers, which is or changing between base curves, which is really nice. But make sure you do your math. Make sure you think about vertex distance because making a simple error is super frustrating after you've made a lens when you realize it was your fault. <laughs> so check your power. Think about colors. And the last thing is human error again. So you do all this work. And if you said a number wrong or maybe it just got recorded wrong, I always like to have my reps or my consultants read back to me what they said or what they are ordering just to avoid any error because like it happens sometimes whether it's just an do you take the uh reference number take the reference number of course i'm like i don't want that damn reference number <laughs> i take the I reference number i record it, it in the, the prescription and i have them read it back because sometimes Say, i'm sure you got it right i'm <laughs> i mean here. but sometimes it's like you do all this work over the wrong power is the most annoying thing so no, as much as i hated no, when i had like six or seven or eight lenses i was ordering in a day totally waiting for can. all that to be read back was frustrating sometimes but it, it saved me so it's definitely worth it all right any other tips for ordering jimmy no, I think that's good. I, I Yeah, I mean, I think um, the biggest issue that I have in scleral lens practice on the doctor side is just make just keeping a dialogue of why I did yes. what I did. You know, like, and then having, you know, I think the challenge is in EHR, how do you see that from a linear perspective? Yeah. You know, like I changed it two steps flat. Yeah. Then I changed it one step steep. Then I changed it two steps flat. You yes. know, like you gotta, you know, you don't want to be changing things like you're chasing your yes. tail, you know? And I've definitely done that, you know, because I just do not, I'll be honest, I do not have a very good system, uh, for scleral lenses and I don't think it's their fault I think it's my fault for not using it the way it's probably supposed to be used wait know? what's it what um, do you mean by but it but I think it's just a challenge our soft oh, R-E-H-R R-E-H-R you know because ultimately that's what you're right that's the place you're yeah, looking yeah. unless you're writing it on paper and then scanning it in yeah. or, or whatever you know so it's that's a that's my biggest challenge totally. like what did i do again yeah, yeah, yeah. and why did i do it and how are you doing you know yeah, yeah. you change something and somehow they're seeing worse but you didn't change their you just changed the, the curve it just doesn't make any sense yeah. you know like the landing zone i don't know well certainly possible, having them read back you know I mean? would be my first recommendation <laughs> yeah no but, sure sure um sure. another thing is patients so easily like this is kind of in my reorder tip thought too, but keeping your lenses straight, not only in the color, but also if you reorder anything, it 
is the most frustrating thing in the world when you realize someone's wearing lens one and not lens two, or they got it confused, and can you look at this? Or you're doing all this work over a different lens that you think you are doing. So however you want a system, like a lot of the labs nowadays, luckily don't ask for lenses to be sent back anymore, which is super helpful. But it might be worth it to you to actually collect those lenses back and save them. Like I saw... I don't know, one of the online uh, forums where a doctor said she keeps a bag of every lens labeled for the patient, like all their scleral lenses in one bag. So she'll have warranty Mm. lens number one, patient brings it back when they evaluate lens number two or whatever, so that you can keep them straight. Because it's not so much in you taking the lens back from them that the lab needs money back or whatever, but it's that the patient gets it confused. And now two years from now they go crack into that old lens and you don't know what you're over refracting anymore. You don't know what you're looking at anymore. Oh God. Yeah. So having, having that plan is really nice. Um, Another thing that I think comes up is when to reorder or just not order at all. Um, You kind of alluded to this, like I suspect thing, but my biggest mistake I did, especially when I was younger, was ordering too soon, right? Like patient came in for their dispense appointment and they, I saw that there was, you know, a half diopter over a fraction that improved their vision from 2025 to 2020 and I would order it versus just chill, wait. And when they came back, they were happy with that. Versus now I ordered this lens and now they're feeling it's too strong. And then I just ended up back in the first lens in the first place. Or, you know, noticing a little edge lift, but patient's not complaining about awareness and there's no other compression or other issue making that change because I wanted to see the lens look prettier. And in the end, maybe it made it too tight or they didn't even notice a difference, right? So don't change it right away. Don't change it that quickly. Right. It's just not, it's not worth it. Because usually you didn't even need it in the first place. Right. So I always wait before making a change. Unless it's actually bad for the patient. Not their opinion bad, but your opinion as a provider bad. It is hurting their eye bad, you know? Not bad meaning good. Good meaning bad. Obviously. The last thing I want to cover is dispense visit. Okay. So I want to talk about when do you dispense a lens and when don't you, okay? So okay. question number one, the patient is coming in, you put the lenses on, and they're having issues with comfort. They put it in, they're like, mm, this is super uncomfortable. You look at the lens, fit looks fine, what do you do? Oh, man, that's a really tough one because that could really... You know, you don't expect that, right? You just, that's not normal, right? But there are some people that are just so in their head about having a scleral lens on or a contact lens at all that they won't allow it to be comfortable. Totally. You know, totally. like they're just like, they're just, oh, they're blanket. It's like you poke their eye out with a hot <laughs> uh, metal or something. Like they're just so freaked out about it. So, I think it's important to just be honest and just say, look, like, I think this is going to get better, you know, but I do see you, you're pretty uncomfortable right now, you know, like. I would say, I mean, you're right. There is that whole complexity of some people who just like aren't going to get used to it. But what I would say is if someone is immediately not feeling uber comfortable, 
I don't actually get excited about that at all. Like I'm going to probably dispense that lens. I'm usually right. if they act dramatic and hey, saying yeah, it's yeah. terrible, I usually actually tell them to close their eyes and I leave the room for five minutes <laughs> and then come back. And by then 90% of that discomfort's gone. But reacting to that discomfort is kind of feeding into that anxiety anyway. And so I do, if I look and I see that the lens looks good, I'm going to let them settle with that eye and kind of build their confidence saying, you know, this is a big piece of plastic. Your eye does need to get used to it. Try for an hour or two and then build. We know scleral lenses technically don't require that buildup, but I still say that to most of my patients. But, um, but I don't get excited and I usually will dispense it unless it's a bad fit. Just to build their confidence and courage to wear this lens. Next thing, what if there's touch? Will you dispense that lens? It depends. I, I think, yeah, just like I said before, you know, if, if it's just a, a little feather touch, you know, um, definitely. Yeah, no question about it, you know. Uh, but if it's, you know, just I just screwed something up, you know, it's clear. I just I screwed something up and, and uh, it's not what I think it should be. I, I definitely I'll be ordering another one right away. I might tell them to practice, you know, I might yeah. say practice with this, nothing bad's going to happen, you know, try it, see what you think. Yeah. I'll usually say, Hey, the lens is a little flatter than we anticipated. Um, yeah. you can practice wearing this, but I don't want you to wear it more than an hour. Cause we know of course the lens is going to settle and touch more. It also, right. when it lens touches, it tends to be harder to get out. So mm. I'm going to release it, but very tentatively and very quickly order them a new lens. So, yeah. And plan a follow-up, usually within a week or two, ideally, depending on how quickly I can get the lens. So they need to understand what they're doing and that it is kind of a trial lens, not to be worn like a normal lens. And then as long yeah. as we're on the same page, I'll release it. But it's not like it's not something I'm going to release as a final lens by any means. Right. How about a patient? They put the lens on. They're seeing 20-20 lens feels good, but they're like, oh, my God, I can't see my phone at all. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, you know, first gut instinct, go get some readers. Um, yes. You know, we'll work on this when you come back. <laughs> you know, yeah, we, could, we could change it. Let's just figure it out first and we'll get yep. there. So I always will say, go get a cheap pair of readers. Yep. We can, and I might even in office demonstrate monovision and okay. show them that. Like say, hey, this is something we could do, but I want you to just learn and make sure you like the distance vision, see how, see how your eyes adapt to these and we'll plan on on improving this. Right. And if they just just love their new clarity and their distance vision, good. If you want to try a multifocal, they can do. You know, we have options. We'll talk about after right. they learn how to handle the lens as like a right. something to look forward to. Um, yeah. What about if you put the lens in and it's like you know they're twenty fifty keratoconus now they're like twenty one hundred. With the lens on, they're yeah. 2100 or say that again. They get worse what vision, is, worse vision okay. with the lens. With the lens. Yeah. No, you know what I find? And there's probably a good reason for this that I'm not going to accurately articulate, articulate, <laughs> articulate uh, that, you know, you'll get a patient that has like form thrust in one eye and then the uh, other eye is 2100 and you put the 2100 on 
and it's 2020, and then you put a lens on the form for us die, and they go from 2020 to 2025 or 2030. That was it's just the, not. The it's not worst. better. It's worse. Yeah, it's worse. You know. And you just are like, ah, now what? You know, now like you could just see that the good eye is going to become the problem eye if you don't yes. like nip that in the bud and just like take take one and and just put a soft lens in that eye or whatever. Like you might have to do that. Um, I don't like doing that, but I see that right. It, it comes up, and usually I feel like you can you can figure your way through that and get to right, the right spot, could. but. Yeah, it is always a little bit frustrating when you're doing a good eye because you're trying to just like have an easy setup for the patient and then they now can't see or it's worse in their good eye. That's definitely a predicament. When it's worse overall, I'm not going to release it. It usually was a math error. Um, some, something odd came up. But if I'll usually kind of rush order them a lens. Ideally, though, it was from something simple right. that I just did wrong. Or whatever. Not that it's making their vision worse. Because you should have caught that when you were fitting the lens. If you originally right. fit them and it was 2020 or whatever, a good anticipation, and then now it's worse, you shouldn't have ordered the lens in the first place. Like that was a, something happened in between. But, anyways, that is my general logistics. I have more, but I, I'll save that for I another that, time. But that basically covers it. I mean, it yeah. really does. Yeah. Sweet. Well, we have more to come in this month of thankfulness for scleral lenses. Um, you're just going to have to tune in. But I think that's it. Before we go, reach out to us for feedback, questions, stories, things you want us to talk about, either through email or on our Instagram or Facebook. You can't depart without saying thanks to Valley Contacts for their support, both the amazing lenses they make and the great people they are to work with. And be sure and tune and listen to our next episode. But until then... Try not to blink.